Hey, hi, I'm Bonnie. Welcome to this podcast, Make Joy Normal, where we chat about homeschooling and family life. With my co-hosts, Elizabeth and Christina, we address your questions and topics in a way that can create more joy in our lives. Please submit any questions you have by email or voice message in the links in the show notes. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with a friend, like, or leave us a review. That's how we get the word out. Thanks for trying to make joy normal in your own life. Good evening, ladies. Good evening, listeners. Uh, I am delighted this evening to have with me two moms who are both from Texas, and they are bringing some questions about high school. I asked them if they, they submitted some questions, and I asked them if they'd be willing to come on as uh, moms who are negotiating some new years and with the hope that you know, there's lots of other moms out there. I know that a lot of my listeners are, are starting to approach those years, preteen or preteen years. And so what do we do now? How does this look now? And I'm really looking forward to your questions, ladies. And so I introduce Lucero and Michelle to you. And ladies, I was hoping you maybe could just tell us a little bit about your lives and your families. Um, Lucero, did you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Lucero, and I'm from El Paso, Texas, and I have only two kids, <laughs> my six-year-old, my three-year-old, and one on its way. She will be oh, born in congratulations. April 1st. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't have home, I mean, I don't have uh, high schoolers, of course, right now, but um, I was originally bringing the, um, the question of the high schoolers because within my um, homeschooling group, that question came uh, arose and I was like okay. oh whenever I get there I would like to have the answer <laughs> well at least some perspective from Bonnie I mean I know she would have something to say about it who knows so, I may still be podcasting them <laughs> yeah hopefully <laughs> oh yeah. that's great yeah. okay so you're you're the front man okay yeah. you know it's an interesting thing because what I found over the years giving talks and working in conferences and that sort of thing it's the dads if the dads participate they want to know what 15 years down the road is going to look mm -hmm. like right Right? And so yeah. the mom is saying, what curriculum do I buy? And the dad is saying, how does this look when they're 16? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. which is really interesting. I find that they're, you know, and it's, you know, often the purview of the male of the household to be farsighted in that way. So I found that a really interesting. They bring completely different questions to the table, right? Yeah. So, uh, and Michelle, how about your family? I'm Michelle. I also live in El Paso, Texas. I have seven children, ages 13, 11, 9, 8, 6, 5, and 1. I homeschool the five oldest, um, currently from first grade through eighth grade. And then I have also the five-year-old okay. and the baby. And within our homeschooling community, okay. recently a you know, discussion came up in which we discover that many of the mothers are finding it increasingly unworkable to homeschool large families and uh, middle schoolers and right. high schoolers um, that we feel, you know, there's too much work. It's so more than we can get. Work. It's more than, than we can accomplish. Um, I feel like, you know, all we ever do is homeschool. If we're ever not homeschooling, we're falling behind. Right. I don't have time to spend with my little kids now the way that I did when my big kids were little. And we had, you know, just, you know, the school was just a little bit and then we could play. All day, you know, I feel like I don't have the time to play right. with my little kids and my baby um, that I would like to have. We feel like we spend, you know, too too much time. My, my older children spend too much time isolated together, which causes them to fight and, you know, over, over little right. things. Whereas, you know, if they were right. in, a, you know, in a school environment, they would be, you know, they wouldn't only be together 
all day. Um, and I feel that while keep you know homeschooling right. them, we give them a better education than what they get at public school, and we prevent them from being exposed to the numerous, you know, very bad influences that they could be exposed to at school. Um, they're also developing bad habits at home right. because being a class of one, while mom has, you know, six other kids to look after at the same time, they are right. not developing the uh, study skills that I would like them to have. You know, I'll catch my boys, you know, sneaking off to play at 9.15 in the morning, I feel like, you know, they, right. if they had the good peer pressure, <laughs> if they were in like a good Catholic school, you know, they had the good peer pressure of their, of their peers to, you know, sit and do their work and, you know, work hard and do their best. Um, so I've sort of come to the conclusion right. that um, while homeschooling is ideal in the primary years, when they're so little, there's not a lot of work and they want to be with mom. That you know, sometime in the late elementary years, it starts to become less ideal, um, and mm -hmm. that they you know would benefit from you know if there were a good Catholic school where they could be surrounded by a good peer group, they start to crave um, those peer interactions. They start to resist me more. I don't know if it's just my kids, but I think it's not just my kids. And the, the workload starts to become a lot more, especially around the sixth or seventh grade. And I know next year in high school, it's only going to be, you know, it's only going to get harder. I intend to keep on homeschooling. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to quit, but it is getting very difficult. And I found that right. you know, other, okay. other mothers, you know, in my approximate situation are having the same difficulties. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. So this is great. I, I am actually, it's my hope that this season, I just started a new season. Uh, it's hope, my hope that this season we can address high school more because I'm realizing more and more that um, I have listeners that do have older children or listeners who are coming up with older children. And so, um, you know, I've talked a lot about uh, the foundation of young children. So the idea of moving into um, some episodes where we're really dealing with older kids and how we do that is is important at this point in time, because because I will say this, your comment that, you know, it, it's good for the early grades, but then as, as they get older, it becomes increasingly more difficult. I will say this, that the, the people that I know who have homeschooled through those high school years would say, looking back, the most important years I high, homeschooled was actually high school, right? Because of the the intellect that your children are developing, because of the conversations that you're able to have with them, uh, because you are participating so intimately in their becoming an adult, right? But I think there are some really important factors that need to be taken into consideration if we're going to homeschool through high school. The theme, my theme for this particular season is actually fun. And I think that that front and center are children, as they get older, there's a very natural beginning to them seeking socialization outside the family. Okay. And that's natural and God given, you know, we, and we need to be prepared for that. We need to actually get ahead of it. So when we think about our, our children, we need to be thinking as they enter the teen years, how important it is for them to have opportunities for fun with other Catholic homeschoolers, right? And I mean, sometimes even beyond that, you know, some of our kids played soccer or, you know, various other things in the community. But what was most important was making sure that that their faith was a place they could experience tons of fun, 
tons of joy, tons of socialization. And, you know, some kids have higher social needs than others, but certainly we we need to be ex- allowing them the opportunity to grow and spread their wings in a healthy, wholesome environment. And so that's one of the things that I think is really important to bring into this conversation is how can we create a social environment that will support us homeschooling into high school? Okay, because they are starting to learn things from their peers. They are starting to to desire spending time with their peers. And that's, we shouldn't shelter them from that. We should look at that and, and address it and get ahead of it, right? But I know that that the opportunities that I've had to have conversations with my kids um, as they've gotten into their teen years, I would, I would, I am more grateful for that than anything else because uh, I feel like that was what allowed us to maintain those lines of communication, being open as they enter into adulthood. And they want to come to us for advice. They want to come to us for uh, for guidance, for to struggling with the big questions. And they do struggle with the big questions. All my kids have struggled at one point or another. And for us, for them to know that I'm there for them, my husband is there for them, uh, and they can talk to us about the hard things. Uh, that's a really beautiful thing. And it starts when they're 10, 11, 12. That's, you know, that's when it begins. So, you know, just in that, well, I want to couch it in that comment because hopefully that will give you some, some hope to continue on, be, be more clear about why you're doing what you're doing. Even if it seems like maybe it's not really meant to be. And I mean, I, I'm not in your family. I'm not in either of your family. So I, I could never be the person to say, okay, well, this is right for your family, but just knowing you know, many, many hundreds of homeschoolers over the years in, you know, as a speaker and and now podcaster, that that's the general statement is, I'm so glad I stuck it out because of the relationship that I developed with my kids. Now, I have known some sad stories where it's a very top down um, uh, authoritarian kind of parenting. I'm assuming because you're a listener of mine that that's probably not the cases for your families. You know, sometimes in a top down authoritarian kind of family where children are not allowed an opinion, children are not allowed to express their frustration, that the relationship in adulthood between parents and children can be very compromised. And that's sad. And I, I've I've seen it. And I, I it's it's makes me sadder than anything, because it's something that I think can be prevented. Children will always have free will. There might be times when they wander from the church, from from you as a family. But if we have worked really hard towards keeping those lines of communication open, uh, we would we will at some point see them come back. So just couching it in all of in all of that, I think uh, um, super important. Would you like to sort of bring forward some specific questions? Uh, or would you like me to just launch for a while? <laughs> I guess, I mean, my, you know, my questions would revolve a lot around how, how to manage everything, um, you know, while give, you know, giving every child what they need, because, you know, each child individually needs so much. And I feel, you know, overwhelmed by it, you know, because I want to have the time to have right. those in-depth discussions with the teenager. But I also want time to play with the mm-hmm. one-year-old. I, I feel just overwhelmed, like, on a daily basis. Exactly, Because yeah. I cannot by myself, you know, give them all of that. Even if, you know, even without homeschooling, okay. you know, seven children would be a lot to, you know, provide for, you know, emotionally, mentally, you know, even, even physically sometimes how to manage it, you know, mm-hmm. what, you know, you know, what can we, uh, yeah. 
You know, Absolutely. Where can we kind of and different needs at different stages? I don't, don't want to say cut corners, but 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 you know, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, and like even in school, you know, I would like to spend some time, sometimes the time having right. extra in depth in depth discussions, you know, with the older children on their subjects. But you know, I have to get to first grade math as well, and it's it's that kind of thing. It's it's just it's just a lot. So I guess I would you know like to hear your advice on how to navigate that. Right. Would it be helpful if I sort of explained how we structured yes. our day with the big wide age range? Now, my kids aren't nearly as close together as yours, okay? So I have 19 years between the oldest and youngest, okay? That presents, you know, that in some ways might be easier because I have older teens while I'm still having babies. Uh, and at the same time, it prevents a whole other challenge, uh, presents a whole other challenge because I also have, uh, people really in adulthood and, and negotiating some of the very difficult aspects of adulthood, mental health challenges and all kinds of things while I'm still having babies. So I, I might look at your situation and think, well, that would be really hard because they're, they're quite close together. Um, and yet, you know, having talked with other parents over the years, knowing that our situation also had its challenges, they were different, right, than yours. The, the basic structure of our day, and I, I started this right from the beginning, and it was very uh, it was very maintainable. So all, you know, I'm in now 32 years of homeschooling and I've been homeschooling basically the same way ever since in terms of structure. Okay. I mean, I chose different curriculum at different points and, and whatnot, but in terms of structure and, and my main reason for, for working this way was that so that I could address the various needs of children at various ages, certain subjects that are very, uh, family friendly, uh, subjects that are easier to address uh, as a whole family, okay? Primarily science and social studies, okay? So those are the two subjects in particular, and literature, of course. Those are the subjects that work really well to to become the glue of your family, your together time as a family, uh, but also your really a sort of in-depth time in terms of discussion and fun and uh, projects and whatnot, that can allow for family time together. So what I did was I would read to my kids at breakfast and I would read to my kids at lunch. So typically what I was reading was some sort of science book, some sort of social studies book, okay? The social studies, all of our social studies came out of, of really good historical fiction, okay? Because that brought everybody together. Now, I also had a corral, like I had a small space and I had baby gates up so that my little people couldn't wander off so that I wasn't having to run and chase them, right? So, but I would have toys. I didn't expect them to sit in a high chair and listen to a story, but it's amazing what they take in, you know, at two and three years old. You know, I read Lord of the Rings to my kids and my three-year-old saying, oh, you know, but what happened to Aragorn? <laughs> you know, amazing stuff. But I didn't expect that. So, so it was... um I would have toys, I would have Play-Doh, I'd have various things they could do. So we would eat breakfast, then we would kind of just gather up the dishes, push them into the middle of the table, and I would read to the kids while they were eating. So usually what I would do is I would read, say, you know, five or ten minutes from some sort of science book. So it, what it meant was, until my kids chose in high school to actually be studying something independently, and that usually came from hanging out with other kids, that the science that we did was all together, we were all studying the same science. Okay, so say, for example, one year, that was life sciences, or human biology, whatever it was, that's what we're all studying. At some point, my older kids would say, 
well, I really want to do a biology 11, or I really want to do a, a chemistry, you know, um, and I would say, okay, so that's something you'll do on your own, but they're older. Okay. They're not 11 or 12. They're older, 14, 15, 16, 17, even that was, you know, those age ranges. I would read a little bit of the science book, just enough, you know, one page, two pages, just enough uh, that we would be covering that, uh, you know, covering the topic without making my kids wait for reading 20 minutes of a science book. That's a lot. That's a lot to take in if you're six or eight or 10 even. And then we would read our novel, which was really the highlight. That's what everybody wanted to gather for. If we're studying the Middle Ages that particular year, I'm going to have picked six or eight novels that I could read. I might read half a chapter, I might read a chapter. If my kids were really engaged or I didn't have toddlers or whatever, that I might read two chapters. So my reading to the kids in terms of the novel would be however long they could tolerate it. So it might be 10 minutes, it might be 30 minutes, depending on how uh, the ages and stages that my kids were at and how much they could take in, right? Even if it was five minutes, even if you could only read a novel for five minutes a day and in the entire school year, you only got through three novels, you would study because it it propels your kids to ask questions, right? When you're reading really good historical fiction, it propels the questions. And so naturally discussion is going to happen, right? My kids did not have to sit still at the table. I would bring out some Playmobil. I would bring out some Play-Doh. They could sit and, you know, as my girls used to do, uh, you know, crochet or whatever, you know, they could keep their hands busy because then that kept them listening longer, right? So I was very happy to have them, you know, playing, keeping their hands busy while they listened. So sometimes I would even read a couple of books, like say I wanted to do a a segment on poetry with my kids. I might be reading a book on poetry and I would keep it super short, two, three minutes. You know, we're going to read one page out of the poetry book and then we're going to read the novel. So we're going to read the science book, then the poetry book, then the novel. So I maybe five, six, seven minutes I'm spending on something that isn't the novel. And then this. Now, as my kids got older, I would say to them, OK, we're, you're studying this book, but I'd, I'd like we're, we're studying, um, say, human biology. But I would really love for you to to do more, you know, I'm sort of reading this to the younger kids, but I think that, uh, that it would be really interesting and good for you to actually be doing more. So I am, you know, let's have a look. I really involve my kids in their own education. So if they're 11 or 12 and I hate, you know, biology, I hate science, whatever you can say to them, okay, look, here's some options. There's a whole bunch of, uh, Khan Academy videos on the human body. There's a, a really great resource that from Catholic Heritage Curricula on the human body that I think you would love. It's a workbook. You know, you could do that one on your own, or we could spend a few minutes doing that together, you know, five minutes a day, every day. Um, you know, whatever, whatever you prefer. Let's talk about that. I think that one of the ways that we really make education real is by, uh, by having you know, important and meaningful discussions with our kids about what we're reading, what we're doing, right? That's how education becomes really real. In that, we can also bring them up. We can sort of say I was reading a, say I was reading a science book put out by Catholic Heritage Curricula that was aimed at grade six. I can move it up or move it down. So I'm reading the book to my, you know, five-year-old. If they say, what does that mean? You know, what does a system mean? Oh, okay. Well, I'll explain that to you. You know, there's different systems in the body. There's the skeletal system. There's the nervous system. There's the respiratory system. And it just means all these things that are attached together and work together. Of course, the whole body works together, but I'm going to give them the one minute definition of what that means, right? 
And then, of course, I can also discuss up. If I have a 13-year-old and I'm reading something that's, you know, more suited for an 8, 9, 10-year-old, I can say, uh, you know, I think it'd be really good for you to look up, you know, how the heart works, right? So I'd like you to to watch some videos or to read uh, the World Book Encyclopedia topic on how the heart works, right? So we can, we don't have to have a science program for this kid, this kid, this kid, and this kid, and this kid, right? That's hard. That's time consuming, right? That's exhausting for you as a mom because you're the one saying, okay, get your work done, get your work done, get your work done. So if we can capitalize on those things that work well as a family subject, okay? So literature, science, social studies, okay? Those are the things that really work well. You know, and I've, I've got a lot of information on how... um how we can do that more effectively. I'll put in the show notes. I've got a, um, years ago, I did a workshop for several years. It was like a full day workshop on how homeschooling works in our family because, uh, it's successful. It's been working. It's, it's, uh, both real education and checking the boxes that need to be checked off without, so not, it's not an unschooling. It's also not just highly curriculum oriented. So it's been a successful way of homeschooling. So anyway, the four part series that I had eventually had it videoed because I just didn't have, there wasn't enough of me to do the demand, keep up with the demand for the workshop. So I videoed it and it's up on YouTube. So if you go onto my YouTube channel, which is just Bonnie Landry, you'll see the four part series and it goes kind of in depth into how we do this uh, more. So we'll pop that in the show notes so you guys have a little better picture of what I'm talking about and how and how we might sort of um, discuss down and discuss up according to our kids', kids age levels. Uh, so then in between those two things, in between breakfast and lunch was when I did one-on-one work with my kids. And I always worked one-on-one with them until they were completely independent. One of the things, now you guys can tell me if this is true for your families. One of the things that that I found over the years is that for for many people, the way their time is used up is constantly being at their kids, getting them to do the stuff. Like a lot of your time is spent managing the child, right? Would that be true, would you say? I only, I mean, because for the only homeschooler that I have, my right. six-year-old, yes, it's like, let's sit down, let's do this, and please don't get distracted with the fly that is flying <laughs> in front of you, stuff like that, yeah. But yeah, okay. yeah, and I'm struggling already, so that's why I was like, oh no, how is this going to be in the future with my other two kids too? So yeah, it is for me, definitely. What about you, Michelle? Would you say that a lot of time is spent herding kids along? I have been working on getting my older children in particular to take more ownership right. of, you know, their, you know, managing their own workload. But I do still have to check in with them frequently, um, you know, often have to redirect them um, back onto their work. Right. But they are capable, you know, the three oldest especially are, are capable of, you know, sitting down and getting a chunk of work done Good on their own. Um, you know, the little ones... You know, my first grader, I still have to sit with her mm-hmm. and it's, you know, okay, do this one, now do this one, now do this right. one. Right. But they're all like that um, at that age. Yeah. Um, but I do, you know, I just don't have enough hours in the day to sit with everybody to do everything. So I just tell them, you know, you, yeah. you have to be able to, to, you know, to, to, to work on this on your own. Yeah. On your own. But well, it's good. If the three oldest are, are showing some independence, then that's really good, right? For my kids, what I found is that the more I put into them, 
when they were little, the more independent they became earlier on that they want kind of wanted to do things on their own. And so, cause I felt there was more value in, in intense and short, uh, that, and, and I don't mean intense in the sense that, uh, you know, that it was heavy, uh, but intense is that I'm just going to focus on you right now, right? That's my goal is to just work with you right now. It might mean sometimes that I pull in an older child to watch a younger sibling, like say, say I've got a two-year-old that needs to be kind of chased around the house all day. Can you watch him for 15 minutes? I'm going to work with your sister. Uh, it's going to take me 15 minutes, but then you'll be done and you can go back to the things that you need to do. Right. So that was, it was really important, um, you know, to, to sort of have that kind of established habit that this is, this is the way we're going to do things. Right. Do you, do you use, what are, what are your kids doing? I mean, that's a good question to ask sort of what are they, how does the day roll out for you, Michelle? We use the mother of divine grace curriculum. Um, my older right. children take some of their classes in the learning support program. So, you know, that's a, you know, a Zoom, a Zoom meeting with other students. So that takes a little bit of the load off of me. But basically, I try to start with the first grader, um, just try to, you know, just get it done as quickly as possible. Um, And she has, um, she has severe dyslexia. So it's going, it's going quite slowly um, with, with, with everything. Right. But, um, but, but I, I try to get done, you know, what, as much as I can. And after about an hour, she's getting tired anyway. Um, I'll, I'll just be really frank with you that that with my six-year-olds, even the ones who didn't have any kind of learning challenges or whatever, um, I would never go beyond 15 minutes because it just was too wearing on the child. They can only absorb so much. So when I say intense, like if I was doing dictation, so that covers all the language skills, that that would be literally a five-minute lesson. And that covered all of the language skills, no matter where they were at. So there was no, there was no um, sort of pushing them beyond what they were capable of doing. And then another, you know, five to 10 minutes doing math with them. And, and that was, I think they were at capacity. Now we still had our reading together. We still had the things that we did together as a family. So that's not all the schoolwork they're doing, but in terms of my expectations of what I could do with them, say, for example, if your child was in school there it's average that the the average kid in school gets three to five minutes of one-on-one time with the teacher per day your daughter is getting an hour with you um but it's it seems what i'm hearing is that it's that's really taxing you could you consider cutting it down so that it's 15 minutes or 20 minutes per child and if they're not capable of working dependent independently on whatever else they need to do then then just don't do that right now we were done homeschooling after lunch. I had the afternoon then to, you know, to just play, to do my housework outside, to go for a walk, you know, to work in the garden, that, that, and I maintained that our whole life. I know that, that there are, you know, Mother of Divine Grace is a good program. Are there ways though, that you could uh, make it more compact so that either there's some things, because I know you also have choice within Mother of Divine Grace, you could do this this year or not. It's up to you as a parent. Don't feel pressured to do the whole grade one program because in the long run, it may not, you know, we don't want to see you as a mom wear out, right? That would be bad for everybody. So if you're spending an hour with say three kids, you know, that's, that's going eventually that the homeschool burnout has to happen. 
right? And the mom burnout has to happen. So if you could shorten that up to 15 minutes per child and then say, okay, you know, this year we're not actually doing Latin. We're not actually doing uh, grammar. We're not actually doing, we're not, we're, we're going to revisit that, you know, but right now that's not happening. You know, and it, it would be okay. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example that I think is a beautiful example. I've used a few times, but I, it's so worth repeating. I had a friend who, whose mother was raised on a farm. And she was one, she was the youngest of several children, four or five children. And the children all stayed home and, and then they went off to school at some point, you know, seven or eight years old when their parents felt like it was time for them to read. Uh, then they went off to school and they did the one room schoolhouse in a rural, you know, rural setting somewhere. The, the youngest daughter, the mom was at home alone on the farm all day long. And so she kept her home. She kept her home for a long time. This is a true story. This is a great story that she kept her home until she was 12. Right now she could read. She, she would just sit and her mom would sit and read with her and she eventually learned to read and she had access to books and, you know, she had, you know, her mother taught her things, skills, how to sew and various other things. She was an intelligent, uh, you know, girl who could read, who could teach herself. And the mom at 12 said, you know, I think that, uh, I think that it's time for you to probably go to school and I'll miss you and this will be hard, but you know, I think it's time, right? You should probably get some schooling. And she went off to grade seven at the local school and she fit in exactly to where, what the grade sevens were learning at the time, right? And because she could read, there was just no, you know, every school year, they're starting something new with a new teacher. They're just picking up at whatever age appropriate level they're at. So whatever social studies we're doing, whatever science they're doing, uh, they're just picking that up. I think that there's a lesson to be, to be learned in that. And I'll, I'll just, I'll use a radical example here. I'm not doing math right now. If you didn't do math until your child was 12, you wouldn't get a book that was a grade one math book for them, right? What you, and I'm not suggesting you don't do math. I'm just using this as an example, right? That, that at 12, their capacity to understand, say fractions, okay? They're going to understand fractions in a very rudimentary way when they're five or six, like understanding half that this, we need to divide this into two equal parts so that you and your brother can each have an equal half of a chocolate bar. You can do, um, you know, can you count off half the chairs in this room or half the people in this room? There's a very rudiment understand, understanding with, with a, uh, a 12 year old, they're going, if you introduce the idea of fractions, if they have never heard of fractions before in their life, and suddenly you're introducing the idea of fractions, their capacity mm -hmm. to understand fractions would be so much greater than it is it almost than it would be at 6 it almost begs the question is do we actually need to introduce fractions at 6 right certainly if the child is really frustrated and not getting it no you don't because when they're 10 and their brain is ready they're absolutely going to understand what a 10 year old the average 10 year old, and I, I hate even using that term because it's such a huge uh, um, difference between what one 10 year old could understand and what another could understand. But say they're, you know, in the middle of the pack, their ability to understand fractions and to understand equal parts and to understand a portion of an equal part would be so much greater. And so I think that, that, um, it's just so important to, to kind of look at that and say, okay, what are the absolute basics I need to be doing this with this child? For me, that was language and math. And if other things got done, that's cream, right? 
So, uh, so, you know, I don't know if you're doing, have you, what are you, what are you doing? Well, how are they spending most of that time? I know this is about high school, but well, let's talk about younger kids because it lays a foundation for high school, right? When I started doing dictation with my kids, that laid a foundation for the, my entire way I ever, I homeschool at all, right? It just laid a foundation for real, what I, you know, believe to be real education. So how is that hour being spent sort of on what, on what topics or what subject areas? Um, well, with my little one, um, there's, there's math, um, there's Bible. Um, she actually does reading with a, with, with a dyslexia tutor. So, um, okay, good. But yeah. we also have to practice her speech therapy. And then Mother right. Divine Grace in the primary years does a lot of, of fine arts and memory work. So we look at right. art, there's poems to memorize. Right. Um, we are not doing the, the First Communion Catechism this year because she's not ready, but normally in the first grade they do that as well. Okay. And then there's music, okay. and then there's literature, which we do as a family. Okay, good. So you're already capitalizing on some of that family yeah. stuff. That's fantastic. We gain cooperation later on from our kids by by demanding less of them when they're young in terms of academia. And I've seen that play out in my own family, you know, that, that if I was to push that, that, that doesn't play out well because they end up sort of hating things rather than loving things. And what I wanted was for them to really, really love this. Right. So, so the choices we make in the primary years and elementary years really do play out massively in their uh, in their high school years, right? Is there, you know, would there be ways that you can spend more time um, doing some things either as a family or is there anything that you could let go of, right? So as to not be pushing. I mean, it sounds like your daughter's handling this. Is I'm sorry, daughter or son? Daughter? Yeah. Is is handling, you know, the hour. But in terms of your own burnout, I can guarantee you that even if she's loving every minute of that hour, she would rather have her mom be whole and well three years from now than uh than frustrated and burned out three years from now right yes and and i do i mean i have to admit i i struggle with with burnout yeah. um i have been for yeah and just the constantly feeling overwhelmed and i i see how i could um do less with her and even the older kids, you know, my my three oldest children, especially, they love to read. Beautiful. And you know, I try to provide them with good books yeah. to read, and you know, they like to read, um, you know, historical fiction Beautiful. and you know, novels, you know, on their own. So I, if I'm understanding correctly, I can let that just be more of their history mm -hmm. curriculum rather than going over, you know. The, the, than like the book that they're the textbook that they're assigned yeah at school you know especially like if you have do you have encyclopedias yes you know a beautiful gift for your kids to have encyclopedias because then i mean you can do this with them you could say oh let's look up this interesting thing you're studying or whatever but if they're already readers you know you've done a lot right like you've done so much right if your three older kids love to read there's so much good going on in your family like just be, congratulate yourself because it's you would not believe the kids like in the school system never picked up a book on their own. They just wouldn't. Right. And it's so sad. It's so sad. So, you know, you've given them the biggest gift they could possibly have. 
you know, if they, if they were to then sort of be encouraged to look things up in the encyclopedia or even shown, like if they're telling you about their book, they're reading is, Oh, wow, we should look that up in the encyclopedia. Like say a character that they're reading about. Is that a real character? Or, you know, just by asking some questions, is that a real character or is that a fictional character? Oh, it's a real character. Well, I wonder if you could look those up. Right. And kind of get them playing with the idea of, of self-study uh, without even, without even ever realizing it's self-study or where is that? Did you, did you open the Atlas? Have you looked up, have you looked up England in the, in the encyclopedia? Because I bet you could find the city if you saw the map of England working with them that way. You know, really what we're looking at is it's a Socratic education, right? So just dropping little ideas about things that you could do to search, to dig more deeply into whatever it is they're, they're reading. And it's such an incredible joy to watch your kids do that, right? To, to self-educate in that way way you know and and the fact that they love reading is, is huge it really is it's a huge thing um you know honestly if you're if you're feeling burnout we've had oh, in in 32 years we've had three years that I basically didn't really do any education with my kids because we had different crises and you will have crises. There's crises that come up, whether it's your child or yourself or whatever. And so in those crises years, we really didn't require any homeschooling of the kids at all. We just dealt with the crises together as a family and they did lots of reading and, and all of that. But there was some years where we didn't do anything except read. My kids all graduated on time right? In fact, some of them graduated early. So it didn't, it didn't hamper their ability. In fact, I would say sometimes those years were the years that they sprung ahead because nothing was being asked of them. And so they really blossomed in their ability to, to do things, right? So if, if you're feeling burned out and I mean, you know, you're involved in a program and I'm not, you know, suggesting that you uninvolve yourself from that program, but could you take a year off of it? It's one possibility. And I mean, that's a real leap of faith if you've been using it all this way along, right? So you could just say, okay, you know what? Let's, let's not do that for a year. Let's just not do that. Um, and let's just read together as a year and then come back and just do the next year, right? Or, or skip to the following year. If, if say it's, you know, whatever, they're in grade five and seven and nine or whatever, just, just skip those grades and then bump them into the next grade when you, when you go a year later to give yourself the opportunity to nurture yourself and give yourself some rest, some sort of emotional rest so that you can approach these coming years, uh, which are fantastic, but they're a whole new challenge, right? So if you were able to, to um, do something, does that sound really shocking to you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do does your, your, your sort of homeschool group, do they all do Mother of Divine Grace? They do a variety of programs. Um, there are families who do Seton Catholic Heritage Homeschool Connection. Okay. I think those are probably the most common ones. And then there are several ones, yeah. who put right. together their own programs using elements from the various different ones. Right. Okay. So you have different life people around you doing different things. That would be one, one possibility. We could have Socratic here. One of the issues is like often I've said to people, you know, why don't you take three months off and just read to your kids? right? If you're in a program that makes it a little harder to do, it's almost better to take the whole year off, right? And then go back to it because uh, to try and take a two or three months off and then catch up can be challenging, right? If they have things that they're meant to sort of work through. It's possible then that you could say, okay, well, we're going to do language with Mother Divine Grace and 
something, you know, science with Mother of Divine Grace, but we're going to, or, or say language and religious ed, but we're going to do science and social studies in our own way. We're just going to uh, pick a book. I'm going to read it as a family and just try it for a year and see how it, uh, how it fits your family. Right. Um, but honestly, I think that more often than not, the, what I would uh, love to see moms do who are feeling tapped out is, uh, is just take some time off where all you do is read and enjoy each other. Right. And here's a reality. You know, if we were, if we were dealing with a completely different situation, like, you know, okay, my kids legally have to go in school. I have one year left. And after that, they're all going in school. What would you do? Right. I have one year to live. I've got a terminal illness. I've got one year to live. What would I do? It wouldn't be a program that is taxing you, right? It would just be, let's shut everything down. Let's read together. Let's play board games. Let's have fun. I want to make the most of this. Sometimes we need to sort of think about where, where we can uh, make changes in our life to, to make sure that I'm still uh, available to my kids and not, you know, and not going crazy so that I can be around for the the rest of the kids, you know, to have the same experience um, that my younger kids, say my older kids had when they were younger, that they had a mom, you know, it was just fun. I had, a, there's a great quote actually from one of our local moms here who said, um, who said it was so much fun and I'm not sure what point it all stopped being fun and, and started being really hard, <laughs> you know, which is true because we were all kind of in the same boat. We all had the same kind of age range of kids and, and there seemed to be this point at which it all got really serious, right? And suddenly we're all we're all serious about education. And I would like to sort of come back to the point of of fun, which I think is is super vital. Just going back to something you said about your kids, you know, you want they're they're bickering amongst themselves, and you want them to kind of have more uh, more. I'm not sure if you mean more social life or just more to keep them busy. Uh, so that they're bickering, not bickering amongst themselves. Because you thought school might solve that problem. Well, it might solve that problem. Um, it might also bring a host of problems. <laughs> and it might not solve that problem, right? So we don't know. We can't know un- unless you, you know, decided it was worth it to try it. But I would say that... <laughs> No, she says, no, it's not. Especially when you have three kids who love reading. Why, you, why would you take I, that risk? I always think... <laughs> Well, I always, I always think that, you know, for every problem that would be solved by putting them in school, it would create five more probably worse. Yeah. I'm so glad you think that way because it's so, so true. And I mean, not that there's not good things that happen in school, but um, there are just so many good things that we can tap into at home. So on the theme of fun and sort of thinking about, about fun, I think it is really important, not just only, only to allow our kids the opportunity for fun, but the time for fun and the social setting for fun. And we, we end up, if we create an environment of fun, um, and I don't mean everything has to be fun because that's not, that's not realistic, right? Everything in life isn't fun, but we should certainly be able to find the fun, uh, in our life on a day to day basis, right? And so the kinds of things that, the kinds of ways that we made that work, uh, in our life was providing the kids with opportunities to gather because it, w- it was pretty clear to me that they needed, um, especially as they approached the teen years, they really needed social life. 
beyond the family, right? Now, that doesn't mean we're not involved, um, but we have one of the dads, uh, local dads around here, would plan a lot of hikes, right? And so the kids, there would be day hikes, there would be overnight hikes, and that was just his particular um, uh, bent. And it would be this whole big group of Catholic homeschooled teenagers um, and, you know, young you know, preteens as well, going on these hikes together that both created us uh, an environment of bonding but and also challenge because this is a big physical challenge for them but also just of sheer fun right and looking forward to those things was often what uh what kind of kept the teens going that, that they wanted to homeschool because they knew they would miss out you know we had some teens in our in our group who went off to school but there was the core group of them none of them wanted to go to school they knew what they would be missing out on if they went to school right and it's a real blessing to have your kids say, no way, there's no way I'm ever going to high school, right? That says a lot about your home. That says a lot about your family. So that was one of the things. The other, one of the things that we also did was a lot of co-ops. And our co-ops were very, very informal. I didn't start them, my own co-ops that I did, I didn't start them until the kids were older uh, because I just felt like the need for socialization was just less. So they have their siblings, they play with them. It wasn't, you know, and it's a lot of work to get out of the house or to have people over or whatever. But as they got older, I started doing co-ops. And it's funny because we were just discussing this today. And it was a, it was a really great discussion with my da- uh, my husband and my, my daughter. The idea of is like I would do a lot of speech arts co-ops. So having a lot of fun with language, learning, learning how to uh, how to say a poem properly, learning how to uh, say a monologue from a play properly, learning how to take a piece of um, cold reading and be able to cold read and giving giving the kids tips and that. So that's an area that I built up some skill in because I thought it was important and I thought it was fun. It's just an area of interest for me. It's not anything, I don't have any training in it, but it was just fun. Uh, but we also did writing workshops, which is an area that I had taken a lot of training with Andrew Pudua in, and it was just super fun for me to do writing workshops with the kids. You know, I had a small amount of training, but I, I mostly just had, you know, a, a heart for it. So my daughter was saying, well, what, you know, what if somebody doesn't have something that they really love to do? And and I said, it wouldn't matter if you got together and you put on a really good movie, like there's a lot of really beautiful old classic movies or old um, epics, watch a movie, talk about it, and then play a couple of games. Right. The biggest part for my kids, the biggest part of of a co-op was the fact that I always and I will always say this, even if your co-op is younger, allow time for play. Do the co-op thing for an hour or however long. Make sure you allow an hour or two for play, because that's what really, really matters is this beautiful social setting for them to play in that is guarded by adults. Say in your situation, Michelle, you know, is it possible to to say have a bunch of kids over and just have uh have a games afternoon you know what i mean that kids that are the same age as your kids or an age range you know say between 10 and 13 or something like that um there's a lot of sort of group games icebreaker games things that we play like charades or uh, a game called the hat game uh, which i should probably put a link to in the show notes because people are going to wonder what it was but it's sort of charades like um, there's a game called Catchphrase that these are super easy games. Nobody needs to, it doesn't matter if you've never played them before. Really, really fun sort of large group games. And it, our co-ops were anywhere from five or six kids to sometimes I had 18 or 20 kids, right? And so, but I, the fact is that I didn't need to actually do anything. I didn't need to have a skill. I could just watch a movie and discuss it with them, read a book, read a chapter and discuss it with them and have a weekly or bi-weekly or monthly 
co-op, right? And that just creates this unbelievable environment of connection and fun. And it's something that my kids always look back on. And like that was, those were super fun days, right? One of the other things too, is because you have young kids as well, is that we had situations where sometimes the young kids, like I would ask a couple of moms to just, okay, can you guys come over and watch the young kids do something fun with them? Just get out Play-Doh or whatever. You guys can be in the basement or the kitchen. We'll be in the living room. Uh, And, or if you have someone who lives close by that they could actually, the young kids could go to their place, have some fun for this age range and then have the co-op for the other age range uh, going on. Right. So it's just so, uh, it just added so much to our life. Right. So I don't know if that's something that you guys have any kind of co-ops happening right now. Yes, there's a there's a social group that gets together um, a few times a month. Um, There is a more I guess academic co-op that meets for about ten to twelve week semesters in the fall and spring, where they do catechism with the priests and then one or two other classes taught by parents. And then there is playtime, and my kids love that, and that's their favorite thing. And there's also a youth okay, group good. Um, at my parish for the teenagers. So my daughter gets, my oldest gets to go to that um, a couple times a month. So we have that. It is nice. difficult, though, to, you know, just get together, you know, go over to a friend's house on a Thursday afternoon, you know, that sort of thing with the driving and right. having many children. Right. Is there somewhere you guys could meet? Like, do you, do you go to Mass? Uh, during the week at all is there a hall that you know everybody could meet in just to play games or something like that do they do you have any kind of situation that would be helpful for that um i think it'll probably be difficult for people to schedule um th- there is the friday call right um that's okay. the academic one and then i think the the monday through thursday everyone is just trying to get their schoolwork done in order to have the friday right free so i think it would be difficult for them to get yeah. together more also often. we I, we have another group um where we try to do social stuff like play dates and stuff and when we get together for example sometimes i have heard from other moms it's like oh yeah i mean it's a pretty good idea to play dates but i have middle schoolers and stuff that they don't want to go right uh, like for example we go to parks and some of them of course the playground is not for them right like, i don't okay. know 13 year olds don't enjoy that stuff right. so um, I'm trying to take more lead on, on the group and say, well, what kind of activity can I do when all the kids actually have something to do right. or stuff? Some of the moms kind of said like, oh, maybe just make sure the parks have some basketball court or tennis right. court or something like that. And maybe the high schoolers or something can get together there and then the little kids in the playground. But other than that, yeah, I cannot think of anything else. Right. There's a, um, I would look into this game called Catchphrase. Because it's super fun and really, really easy to learn. And it's it's really good. doesn't matter how big the group is. You can play it with, with 40 people, right? So it might be one of those things that, you know, they get together and they play a game and then somebody else... Uh, somebody else says, oh, uh, you know, I thought of another game we could play. Why don't we play charades or why don't we play, um, you know, some other some other fun game? It could be physical or it could be sitting around, right, if you're at a park. You guys, ha- how's your weather there? Do you have pretty secure weather? More or less. Like you can get outside right now, a lot? the wintertime you... is not that difficult okay. for us. The summertime, okay. though, oh, my gosh, <laughs> it's pretty hot over here. If you don't get to the playground, right. 
between nine in the morning and maybe 11 by 12 is already like a hundred degrees and right it is tough yes that's that the whole summer yeah during the winter yeah. right yeah <laughs> opposite problem of us right <laughs> that's great so Lucero, do you have some specific questions about high school that you sort of have heard other moms ask or you um from what I'm, from what i'm getting from you like um it sounds like the biggest stressful maybe for moms is following a particularly curriculum because right. curriculum seems to have something different for every single level. Like first grade, they are supposed to be doing this, second right. grade and this. And I kind of already saw that because, of course, while I was looking through my, oh, let's see, I want to do homeschool. So where, how the curriculums are going? And I have been looking into some of them. Right. And most of those is like, yeah, first grade, you do this. So I can see maybe Michelle, like having five kids homeschooling, all of them have to do different things and managing that, I can see that like, I don't know, exploding my head and stuff. So yeah. I found one that kind of mentions like a style, like you said, for example, history, they have it like, it's a family style. Okay. Like for four years, uh, the first year they go through some topics, but even your first year old, your, your first grade, your second grade or whatever grade you are, you all take the same one. Right. The second year, the same, the third one and the fourth. And then they repeat again. Right. So the ones that missed it at the beginning, then they hear it again. And supposedly yeah. that completes their history education for some way. Yeah. And, and the topics that they have for science, biology and stuff is just independent. So whenever you feel like you have to do it, then you do it as a family and family style. Okay. And Interesting. Yeah. What is yeah. the name I mean, of that called, curriculum? It's called The Good and the Beautiful. Have right. Heard I've heard it? wonderful it's, things about it, actually. Yeah. yeah. I'm not familiar myself, but that was essentially the same, the mm -hmm. same thing that we did. So I, it would, it would, I didn't have a particular rule that I followed, you know, but we, of course, we mm -hmm. said every four or five years, we studied the Middle Ages. Every four or five years, we studied Canadian history. Every four or five years, we studied, you know, Romans and ancient cultures. Yeah. yeah so they do just something like that. Yeah. Then American history or stuff. Mm hmm. It followed a similar similar kind of pattern because every four or five years you're going to repeat the same pattern. Science as well. There's only mm -hmm. so many topics of science. You're just going to every cycle. Right. You're going to approach them with a little bit more depth. So in in my mm -hmm. household, we didn't actually start any kind of curriculum until my kids asked for it, right? So that mm -hmm. some of them it was at by the time they were you know, 13, 12 or 13. Some of them, it was more uh, uh, when they hit, you know, 14, 15, 16. And, and that was okay. Just whenever they felt ready to, to tackle that, they were welcome to do that. Except for math, which math, I felt very comfortable doing myself for the first few years, but then I would get a curriculum for math. But again, I would, I would slash and burn it. Like if I was going through a worksheet, a workbook, if there's 30 questions per page, I'm going to slash at least half of them, right? Because I just don't see any point in doing math for an hour. After about 15 yeah. or 20 minutes, even at, you know, 12 or 10 or whatever, that's just, you're saturated, right? They either know it or they don't know it. You know, you're either learning it or you've learned it. The sort of beating the head with it just did not make any sense to me at all. You can't let curriculum own you, right? You have to be really conscientious of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I feel like. If we follow a curriculum owns you but then for example i even when i said i from el paso right. texas actually it was raised in mexico so homeschooling has been a whole thing right. because i'm teaching my girl english i learned it right i learned in spanish 
And I was like, how am I going to teach English to my kids? So now that I'm going through the curriculum, it's like it's English a bad language to learn, language isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm learning and I'm happy to learn it because I yeah. feel like I'm going to learn myself as well. Maybe I'm going to improve my language as well. And then, um, yeah. So with that, what I'm saying is that I feel like I right. need a curriculum to tell me what to do. I need to know, I mean, well, whatever it is to learn about English, mm -hmm. the, the rules, whatever it is. So I feel I cannot let go of the curriculum. So right now what I'm trying to do, oh, because with Gabby, now that I'm pregnant, for example, my first two months were horrible. Right. Nasha, you know all that good stuff. <laughs> and I didn't do any homeschooling for those two months, which is not bad, right? I don't know. I felt like, oh, no, my girl is going to go behind. And then whenever my kid comes in... Once again, I'm gonna be having no, no time. So I talked to somebody, yeah. and they said, "Well, don't do the geography stuff. How much geography you are gonna do with your first year old? I mean, how much science? Are you? Because they have books for that." And I was like, "Well, that's right. Yeah. So what should I tackle?" And they say, "Well, just do your reading, like, and I do it at first yeah. as well." And language and math, language and math, language and math. That's all I'm doing right now. Yeah. You know, and, and again, sort of going back to the sort of examples mm -hmm. of people who've who've actually done that, that if all you did was language and math until they were completely independent, mm -hmm. and then you said, okay, so here's the various uh, subjects in science, pick one. Yeah. Here's the various subjects uh, in history I'd like you to study, just pick one. Then they could, it would be interest-based. Mm -hmm. There's so much that we can do uh, that is not driven by curriculum, you know, that we have to be, and curriculum in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's just yeah. that it weighs on us so heavily. If we can decide, okay, what mm -hmm. portion of this curriculum, I'm assuming yeah. Mother of Divine Grace gives yeah. you that option that you could opt out. You could just do the language and the uh, religious ed or language and math and religious ed. Is that true, Michelle? Yes. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure what the minimum is. I know you have to be doing the religion um, and I think math and, and language arts. I mean, you know, with my with my little one who has the dyslexia and okay. can't keep up with the standard curriculum. Um, you know, as long as as long as she's doing her alternative curriculums and doing religion, um, that's you know that. Right. Does does Mother of Divine Grace like? Is there a is there would there be a reason why? taking a year off, I'm just going to go back to this idea for a minute, taking a year off of it would be, uh, would have a negative impact? Well, like, are they going to graduate with Mother of Divine Grace? Is that kind of the goal? And next year I will have a ninth grader, so okay. she will need a transcript. So I don't think it would be possible to right. take off for her. Okay. Yeah, and is she handling it? Is she enjoying it? It's it's a lot. We are finding the okay. eighth grade workload is a lot, and okay. you know I am, you know I'm concerned about how you know how we're going to handle the transition to high school next year because I know that it becomes right. more, and then the grades count if she wants to go on to college yeah. after. Right, and does Mother Divine Grace provide a transcript? Yes, they do. Okay. Something I think that this is important to bear in mind. And again, you know, we go back to sort of making this an enjoyable experience for our children and for our, our families. Uh, if she's finding it too much and you don't have the option of, of cutting out different subject areas to lighten the workload, 
you can develop your own homeschool transcript, right? Um, and that's not, and maybe even going through Mother Divine Grace, if your eldest daughter is, is handling that, no problem. It's actually a learning experience for the rest of your kids. Like what, what does a transcript look like? You know, I've got a transcript template on my website and giving you some sort of ideas about how we, we fill a, out a transcript. Um, but what we have found is my kids have been accepted at several different universities and colleges. Uh, they don't really care. The universities and colleges don't really care that it's a homeschool transcript. Nobody's ever made a deal about that. There might be some institutions that do. All they care about is making sure it looks about the same as a regular high school transcript if um, they graduated from a public high school, right? So that they have their, you know, grade grade 9, 10, 11 sciences. They have their grade 9, 10, 11, 12 English. They have, you know, uh, 9, 10, 11 phys ed. You know, they, they want to just see that it looks pretty pretty normal to a normal high school transcript. So, so, you know, I mean, I think that that's handy, but just looking to the future, if you, if you have kids who are either not handling the workload or are really pushing back really strongly against the workload, right. That there are ways that you can tweak that. There are ways that you can do that, um, you know, without having to have the, the intense workload, right. Because a lot of the workload uh, is actually electives, right? A lot of the workload of high school is electives. Probably 30% of their classes or 40% of their classes are, are elective. So, I mean, you could choose electives for them from the courses that they offer, but you could also just work with their natural interests. Like say, for example, they're really into music, uh, then, you know, their fine arts credits can go for their electives or, or say they love uh, woodwork, you know, they don't have to take a class in it, they can, it's just something they can do on their own. We're looking towards look sort of 100 to 120 hours of them spending at that particular thing, in order for it to become a, a full high school course credit, right? So, you know, I don't know if that's helpful for you looking to the future. But what I'm saying is don't sacrifice your family, your good relationship with your daughter, your daughter's compliance even at the altar of getting all the things done, right? It, it won't be worth it in the long run, you know, and so you don't want to lose her. So if you hear her starting to say things like, and this is really important, we have to, our, we have to be discussing with our high schoolers their education. We have to allow them some choice in their education. We need to be talking about that. Is this, you know, does this feel too heavy for you? If it feels too heavy, what would you drop? How can we take this? You can actually do high school over five years instead of four years if you really want to, right? There's just no, we, we had kids in our community who were really, really into music and they decided that they would split their grade 12 year into two years because they were so, music was taking so much of their time. It was leaving less time for other subjects. So they made a conscious decision. The kids did to, do high school over an extra year, right? And there's there's just no reason why we can't do that. So we have lots of options ahead of us, but so important to listen to your kids and bring this up with them. So she's, say, finding the workload heavy this year and she's looking at next year. Okay, well, what could we not do? Um, maybe you can do it over the summer. Maybe there's something that you're interested in that could become an elective that you put lots of hours in over the summer. So it's it's important to... Um, to have a lot of conversation with her because her experience of high school also will affect your other kids following her. Right. And so you want to make sure that this is good, that there's lots of communication and we always need to approach our high schoolers this way. Lots of communication. Are you frustrated with something? Okay. How can we change this? 
right? Yeah, you have to have a math, but can you take some a break from math? Yeah, absolutely, right? Or or algebra's not working for you? Well, we could do consumer math or we could do workplace math. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about the options that we have because education should be a joy and not a frustration. You know, that's the biggest gift we can give our kids is to be having conversation about their own education and giving them some freedom and choice within it. So have you got, uh, is there other questions that sort of come to mind that you think would be worth addressing in terms of high school? I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm addressing some of your questions. <laughs> There's definitely a different take yeah, from what you were, uh, from what I expected. From okay. To say. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So any other thoughts or, or, um, questions about? Well, I had a. Uh, I had a couple sure. more questions. I mean, the first question is more related, related to the the grade school, and that's just how to how do you handle the discipline the discipline problems, especially you know the nine year old who does a quarter of his math page and then goes off to play Legos at nine in the morning because he knows that right mom's you're busy distracted, with, yeah, you know another sibling, and I'm not going to catch. Yeah, him it's right a great away. question. And then you know he does, and then he just repeats this throughout okay. the day. And I need him to be working independently during those times so that he's ready to work with me when right. I'm ready to work with him. And then, but then he's not. And then that's how we fall behind and our day gets right. thrown off and we end up schooling into the okay. late afternoon. And then everybody's tired and frustrated. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't want that. You want to avoid that for sure. So if, if, if I were in that situation, what I, I would, want to have a discussion. So listen, you know, you're not completing your math. Are you not completing it because it's too hard, because it's too boring, because it's taking too long? What, what are, you know, what are your reasons? And so he might give you any one of those reasons. He might give you some completely different reason. I don't know. But say, for example, he says, it's just taking too long. I already know how to do this. Then I, how I would take that is, you know what? You need to practice math every day because it's one of those skills that you need to practice. But I think maybe uh, you could cut way down on what you are practicing. So how much, how many questions would it be appropriate for you to do so that you could go play after your math? I don't mind if you go and play, but let's set a timer. Let's set a timer for 20 minutes. You go play and then come back and do your next subject. Okay. I want to give them a lot of freedom. I want to give them a lot of support so that their childhood is still a childhood. Say that was his answer to the question. I would say, okay, if he says uh, one, maybe he has 30 questions. And he says one. You say, well, one isn't realistic. One isn't reasonable. What's reasonable? Okay. And he might say, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I would say, well, you know, in my reason, in my life, I think maybe between six and 10 would be reasonable, right? Out of these 30 questions, or if there's 20 questions, maybe uh, four to eight would be reasonable. You know, but clearly if you're getting this and it's just repetitive for you, then, then, uh, you know, you don't need to be doing as much, you know, you do need the practice, but you don't need as, as much practice. So talk with him, talk with him about what's reasonable, right? If he's doing math for an hour, like if that's not reasonable at his age to do math for an hour on your own, that's not a reasonable expectation. That's hard on a kid. Maybe he says, it's too hard. I don't understand the questions. Like you would know that as his mom. Is he getting five right? Is he getting all of them right? What's, you know, is is he doing well at it? In general, yes. Okay. So, so he's, he's grasping the material. So he's, if you say, I would like you to do six questions out of these 20, 
he's going to go, yes, <laughs> right? And then I say, then if you say as his mom, if you say, you know what? It's obvious to me. Like, I can't have you sneaking off. That's not right. Okay. That's not right. That's not respectful of me. Uh, it's not what God wants. But I understand that you need a break after doing math. Even if you only do math for 15 minutes, you still need a break. So why don't you set a timer? I'm going to give you an egg timer. Set the timer. Go play for 15, 20 minutes and then come back and do your next subject. Does that sound like a good idea? Or what would you like to do? How many minutes would you like to play between your subjects? Say you have a different scenario where your child says, um, uh, it's too hard. I don't understand. I don't understand it. They're not ready to be independent. If they don't understand the material, you have to either find a new curriculum that they do understand, or you have to work with them until they understand it. Because to work, to just be trying to work when you don't understand something is the biggest frustration we could have. So say, for example, you're trying to learn a new skill on your computer and you don't have anyone to show you how to do it right? You're trying to learn how to edit audio or something or edit your photos. If you don't have anyone to show you how to do it and you're going back and forth and back and forth between YouTube videos and trying to figure it out yourself, so frustrating, right? So you can tolerate that for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. But if you sat at your computer for two hours, you would just be so frustrated you want to throw your computer out the window, right? But if you had someone with you coaching you, that would make it way easier to do. So if he's not ready to learn independently, that's not something we can force. It sounds like he is, right? It sounds like your particular nine-year-old that you're talking about is, is ready to learn independently, which is great. But it, until they reach that point, or say he hits the wall and suddenly they introduce um, some geometry, right? And he just doesn't get it. He's not understanding what they say. He's frustrated. He can't read the instructions. You say, you know what? We're actually going to skip geometry right now. We're going to come back to geometry, maybe at the end of the school year. But for right now, don't do any geometry questions. We'll come back to that. Make a note of it for yourself, right? Things we need to come back to, you know, geometry. But he, clearly his brain isn't ready for that to learn independently. He can't read the instructions about it. He doesn't understand what it means, right? Six months from now, he might. Two years from now, he might. But right now, he doesn't. So that's a different thing. Is okay, you know what? We need to practice math, but geometry is just not something. And, and we can say it that way. Your brain's just not ready for that, right? So if I had a nine-year-old who was sneaking off, this is, this is how I would approach things. But I would also say, listen, it's really important to me that you're obedient, right? It's really important to God that you're obedient, right? How you how you honor me, obey me now, you know, really can reflect on your later uh, your later life with God, right? And we we don't we want to avoid that. So so let's talk about why you're sneaking off, okay? I would rather you come to me and say, Mom, I can't do school anymore right now. You know, it's just too much for me. Can I have a break? And I will say to you, yes. How long do you need? right? Because you want that child to be happy, but you want him to be holy as well, right? And so we have to work with that. So if he knows that he's safe to come to you and say, mom, I can't do it anymore. I need a break. I need to go play Lego. I need to go outside and kick the ball around. You know, okay, let's work with that, right? Let's work with that. Let's shorten up your math so you have a little more time to do this. Let's, you know, eliminate this subject so you have a little more time to do this. I understand you have a lot of energy and to sit at a desk, you know, for two hours straight, that's going to be hard for you. Your kids will just, their, their 
respect for you will just grow in leaps and bounds because they're going to think my mom is hearing me, right? My mom's really hearing my frustration. And, and the thing is we can think, okay, well, they're not going to, they're going to, they're not going to obey us then if they think that, you know, we're just going to say, oh, okay, do whatever you want. It's not what happens. They want to please us. Our children are born with an ingrown desire to please us, right? And we need to work with that and, and allow them the opportunity to feel safe enough to say to us, I can't do this. You know, I'm frustrated. I need more outlet. Or for us to say, it looks to me like you just need to go run around, you know, or, or play a board game or something with one of your siblings. So why don't you do that? And, uh, and then come back to school with a fresh mind, right? How that plays out in terms of our relationship with them and them feeling honored and respected weighs out massively in the high school years. If they feel that they've been heard, they've been respected, they've been understood, uh, they've been loved through the challenges, then high school is going to be a way easier thing to negotiate, right? So is that helpful? Yes, very helpful. Yes. Okay. Um, it, it relates to my, my other question, um, which applies sure. to high school, but also to the younger grades, which is about motivating them in the areas in which they struggle. My children all have different strengths in areas in which, right. you know, su- subjects that they love, that they excel at, and that they would do on their own, you know, for hours, right. you know, even if it wasn't for school. But then they all have subjects and areas where they struggle a lot in, where they tend to either try to avoid it completely or just do like the quickest, you know, like low effort job they can. Right. <laughs> um, you know, with my oldest, anything involving writing, they struggle to write. Right. Um, with my oldest daughter, it's math. Um, so how to motivate them without discouraging them? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then they get discouraged about all their schoolwork. I think so. Again, I would say that, that, you know, give them opportunity to vent. This is frustrating me. This is, I don't like doing this, right? That's, that's good. That's good for them to be able to say those things out loud without us, you know, uh, saying, well, you have to do it or whatever. Just, just listen, you know, just listen to them. But then say, here's, here's the analogy I think is important to look at. So first of all, um, anyone can learn how to play piano, right? With hard work and effort and practice, Anyone can learn how to play piano. But of those kids who are putting in the time and the effort to learn how to play piano, some of them are going to excel. They're going to love it. It's They're going to blossom at it. It's going to bring out the best in them. For some of them, they're going to functionally be able to learn how to play the piano, right? So they will learn the notes. They will learn the chords. They will learn the patterns, but they won't love it. And they won't ever be a pianist because it's not, it's not their natural talent, but they can learn to be a functionally decent piano player. Okay. So, you know, for me, my kids, it was important just using music as the example that they all had music. Some of them really shone at it. Some of them were less inclined, right? But until a certain age, I wanted them to all take music. So we had to work with that. So, okay, you, I want you to learn some really basics of music. So I want you to put in the time for piano, but, but if you're finding practicing every day is too hard, you know, for 45 minutes or whatever, whatever it was, I would say, okay, what would work for you? Because they're still going to make progress, even if they're practicing for 15 minutes, right? Even if they're practicing three times a week, instead of five times a week, they're still going to make progress. They're still going to learn. And so that would be my inclination is to say, okay, I know you hate writing. I know you hate it, but how can we, you do need to learn to write, to be a functional member of society. 
you need to learn how to write, okay, to go to college or even for a job, you're going to need to learn how to write. So that's important. But we could break writing down so that you're doing, you know, one portion of writing. How long could you do it for? Like, say right now, they're we're doing writing for half an hour, 45 minutes. If you said, if I get you to do it for 15 minutes, right, what do you think is reasonable? Could you, could you do it for 15 minutes? Could you do one part of your writing? Like say today you do the outline and that's all you do, right? We'll set a timer, 15 minutes. When you're done, you're done. Okay. But write, you, you need to write every day. You need to practice, but it can be a lot shorter so that you have more time to spend on the things that you love, right? So again, with the math person, okay, you have to practice math every day. Okay. But let's cut it down. You know, you need to learn how to do this. You, these are these are functional skills that you're going to require. But there's other ways of approaching this. We could do it for 15 minutes a day. You could take math via Khan Academy. Maybe that would make a lot more sense with you. Um, you know, you could we could look at a different program. So what would make sense for you? Now, you know, most kids who hate math are going to say, I'm going for the 15 minutes a day option. Okay, so you need to do 15 minutes a day, but I need to know you're progressing, Right. If you don't progress at the rate of somebody else, that doesn't matter, right? That doesn't matter. We don't all have to progress at anything at the same rate. If we slow our math down, maybe they're in grade 10 and you say, you know, if we slow it down, it may mean that you're still doing math in grade 12 when technically you could be finished by the end of grade 11, but you have to do less math every day. So you might love that. Uh, or you might reach a point where you think, you know what, I just want to do the hour a day and get it over with, you know, but, but let's talk about that. So right now let's just do the 15 to 20 minute a day option you know, half a lesson a day or whatever that means. Uh, and then do that for a few months and then we can talk about it again. Right. So we're constantly assessing what our kids need. Uh, but the reality is that us as adults want to minimize doing the jobs we hate <laughs> and maximize doing the things we love. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. That's recognizing that, yeah, I still have to do the dishes. I still have to do the laundry. But what I really love is decorating the house. And so I really want to spend time painting the living room. And I really want to spend time, you know, doing whatever, whatever it is. You know, I really want to make sure I get enough time that I'm reading to myself or, or whatever it is you love doing. We want to minimize the hard things and maximize the fun things, knowing still that we have to get the hard things done first. And another thing I would say to my kids is, why don't you just get the hard things out of the way first? So we're going to minimize it 15 minutes or how, whatever you think, whatever you think's reasonable, how could we approach this and uh, do it first, get it off your, check it off your list, right? Then it's done for the day, but they're going to love you. Like if they're doing an hour of math every day, they're going to say, wow, mom, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I only have to do 15 minutes. That would be awesome. So hopefully those are helpful things. <laughs> Lucero, do you have any questions that would be? Yeah. No, it just came to my mind. So I'm the, uh, the oldest of seven. We were not homeschooled in Mexico. There's right. no such a thing. Um, but I was thinking one of my siblings, when he got to high school, he had a hard time. And he, he was the only one. Well, not the only one, but he had a hard time with school all the right. time. So for high school, he couldn't keep up. Uh, with whatever curriculum they were following at school. So at some point he dropped mm. off, but he started to going on. I don't know how to translate it. It's kind of like open high school. So right. you go pay for a class and until you finish it, then you, uh, you get your grade until you get that grade. Then wow. you pay for okay. another class until you finish high school. And kind of, that kind of seemed to work for him yeah. because he was doing what he felt he could do. Wow. I guess. Like, what a, that says a lot about yes, your brother's yeah. character. It really yeah, does. It really does. Yeah. But, 
In mm-hmm. eventually, he graduated high school until I mean later on. I mean not on your typical eighteen. He probably graduated yeah. at twenty, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but now he's in college and he's excelling wow. and he's doing That's great and everything. Yeah. But, um, what I see is like, yeah, like trying to, I mean, focus on the kid and, and doing things a different way. Know. Like no, nobody says you have to be finished school by 17 or 18. There's right. no rule about that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's our fear, right? Like if we're not doing things like when it is supposed to be like, I have my nieces who are already, I mean, they are doing good at school and stuff, but sometimes I feel like, oh, is your little kid not learning this? Well, that's because you're homeschooling, you know? It's like, she should be in school because she's supposed to be already learning this. And I don't know if some some of us mom feel that pressure from public schools and somebody else is like, oh no, I need to really, really keep up with this stuff so they can see homeschooling. It's a great thing, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it is a great thing. But, you know, it, we have to get past caring about right. what other people think. Yeah. And that's a really big mm-hmm. hurdle. You know, that's a really big hurdle. And I think that it's but it is one of the things that we, we can make again, like the some people are born mm-hmm. not caring. I was born not caring oh, about what other blessed. people think. But, yes. but if you practice, <laughs> yeah. if you practice, you mm-hmm. can also learn yeah. how to not care and pick and choose what you care about. Yeah. And it takes more intentionality, it takes more practice. And I think that that's one of the biggest uh, favors we can do for ourselves is you know what Mm -hmm. these are god gave me these children and they're mine to raise yeah and he's going to give me the grace that i require to raise them so somebody else's opinion uh or somebody else's commentary or whatever i can just smile and say oh thank Mm -hmm. you or oh i don't care (laughs) whatever you want to say you know that (laughs) that you you can learn (laughs) to not care right you can learn what's important to care about Mm. right because right. god doesn't care about your your uh, gpa at all yeah <laughs> correct correct yeah we need to we need to not forget what we really are here for our kids for our kids. yeah yeah you know the the when you were tr- looking for the translation of of what your brother did in canada when you get your when you mm-hmm. get your graduation certificate after you've already finished high school, say you dropped out of high mm-hmm. school or, you know, you couldn't finish high school for some reason, we call it the GED. And I think that's the, um, uh, I can't remember what it stands for, but do you use that term in the States, GED? Okay. I think so, right? It's just like, a, it's just like the test. You pass it and if you pass it, that's your high school, I think. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so a lot of homeschoolers mm-hmm. unschool completely all the way through school Mm. they unschool their kids where the kids are just you know natural learning the whole way um when they hit around 18 they say okay if you want your high school certificate we'll do your ged you know some kids do it at 16 right because they can there's it's a it's Mm. a valid method of education i mean it's not what i did it's not what i think i feel like it was important to have some discipline and some structure and, and all of that but uh we have to find the balance between discipline and structure and education being actually real right? That we're actually learning and we're actually teaching them to love learning, right? That matters. Is there, if, do you guys have any other questions? Uh, not for me. I don't know, Michelle. Um, I think that's all of my questions. 
Okay. If you guys have any more, if you think of anything after I, um, you know, we get off of this quite radical conversation, <laughs> uh, don't hesitate to email me. I'd be happy to address them or, or address them personally or address them, um, you know, as a podcast question or whatever. Okay. But I think that, um, I mean, it sounds to me like you guys are doing incredibly beautiful things in your family. Pat yourselves on the back for that because we're so, uh, it, it's very easy <laughs> to raise our kids in such a manner that they don't love reading or that they don't, uh, they don't love family life even, you know, and it sounds like you guys are way, way past that. So, you know, other than, than burnout, which you obviously, um, Lucero, you desire to avoid and Michelle, you would like to rise above that, that there are many ways around right. that. You know, sometimes we just have to do some self-reflection on, on what's that going to take for me. And I would really strongly, uh, just, just ask you to spend some time thinking about how you can restructure things so that, so that burnout isn't where you're headed because, because your children need you. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you so much. It was, it was wonderful to meet you and this was very helpful. Thank you. All right. Yeah. <laughs> God bless you both. Have a wonderful evening and I'm so glad you brought your questions live. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Bonnie. <laughs> you're welcome.